Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. So, episode 156. I just want to say thank you so much for everyone who has listened to the podcast. I know there wasn't one two weeks ago. So, uh, thank you for so much for all the correspondence and the feedback on the episode where Dallas interviewed me. So, if you haven't listened back to that, you'll figure out why I have been uh, AWOL. But I want to say a massive thank you that the podcast is up at number one on the Nutrition Podcast on Apple. And that is a massive vanity metric for myself ticked off. And hopefully it stays around the top two. And I know there's massive names coming up and there's massive podcast names coming into the realm of it as well. That's pure vanity, but it's a nice one. So as long as you guys continue to leave reviews, more people can listen to it. As long as you keep sharing and showing the love, we'll continue to put out the podcast and do the Coach's Corner and hopefully we have some exciting news coming up in the next, hopefully by the time the next episode comes out, the next Coach's Corner thing comes out. But so this is volume five, I think, of the Coach's Corner. So yeah. Dallas, how are we? Not too bad, not too bad. I think everything's going good. Maybe a little bit missing of some sun. I think that's my biggest gripe with the world these days. Doesn't stop you having your top off all the time, but no, no, it, no, it doesn't. I thoroughly enjoy having it off in training. I I think there's something freedom aspect towards it that people just don't get. And I'm like, I I will not have been an advocate for saying like free the nipple, take your top off, gyms type of thing. Like that's getting a little bit too crazy. But because you're in lockdown, I highly recommend people give it a go and just enjoy it. Train in pajamas, you know. Train with anything on. <laughs> go for it. Be free, be free. Um, so I think we've got, we've got a load of topics because there's a lot of questions kind of coming in through DMs, a lot of ideas being laying low for two weeks. It was actually like the written like a full notepad of content. And I just wanted to get through a load of the questions that are kind of coming in on a regular basis. And I know Dallas has had a few of these questions before. And it's kind of common concerns that a lot of people get on any journey really. And I think the first one that we kind of want to talk about is kind of dealing with impatience when on a weight loss journey, a muscle gain journey, growing a business, starting a career, relationship, anything. So dealing with impatience is a a massive, massive factor. But I think where the growing with impatience side of things kind of can stem from is the fact that the media, social media, the education, they're all elements of it. The marketing that's aimed at people regarding weight loss, for example, they play on the emotions, they play on the pull on the heartstrings in order to sell you something. They put they pull on you and say, right, you're going they'll give you this four week ab blast and you'll be have six pack and have massive glutes and massive quads or whatever, or massive arms, whatever your goal is. But realistically, that's not going to happen. By buying those type of things and thinking you're going to get those things. You're not really, you're setting yourself up for a fall and then that gets repeated, repeated, repeated and that's going to drive you insane. But if you're looking at social media all the time, you're looking at your, maybe your coach or you're looking at someone on social media and you're comparing yourself to them, but you don't know what they have done. They don't know if they've had a 10, 15, 20 year, 20 year journey to get to where that point is. They've just shown up more often than not. They also have genetics, they're resting, their sleep, loads of different factors come into it. They're doing the unsexy stuff. But I think there's a there's a big thing with kind of the impatient side of things. So I know I asked, Dallas knows the answer to this because I know he's read the book in relation to, would you rather have 1 million euro today or a penny doubled every day for 30 days? And Most people are going to say the 1 million. Yeah. Exactly. So it's from a book called The Compound Effect. And if you're into business or you're trying to create habits or anything like that, it's it's an incredible book. But a lot of people will go for the 1 million quid straight away. They want the instant impact. They want the the dopamine hit, the reward hit straight away. Mm. But if you were to wait for the 30 days, you would actually end up with $5.3 million or 5.3 million euro. So over five times the amount if you'd waited for another 30 days. It's like with a pension, it's like with a bank account, it's like building up a mortgage and paying for something like that. You don't, you can't buy the house with your first paycheck. You can't buy it with your second paycheck. You can't buy it with your third paycheck. Well, that's your paychecks are whopper. Fair play to you if they are. But for majority of, for majority of people, it's not. But I think we're too quick to jump on these very, very too good to be true options and then we give out afterwards 
and say it was the coach's fault when the expectations need to be set at the very, very beginning. And I think with the expectations becomes reality. Yeah. And I think the reality sometimes isn't what people want to hear, but you have to be in the position to be able to hear it because if you're working with a coach and the coach is saying to you that, oh yeah, you're definitely going to lose 12 kg in six weeks, you possibly could, but you have to ask yourself, right, I've tried this before, I've lost the weight, but I've rebounded afterwards and I've ended up in a worse position mentally and physically. So that's setting you up for a fall again. Would you not rather find a number, find a range of weight or find a range of clothes or a size of maybe in between a 10 or a 12 and a 12 and a 14, depending on the brand that you can stick to and, li- and, and be comfortable in compared to aiming for this eight or 10, having to give up 90% of your life for 10% body fat or 10% or 90% of your life for a 10% weight loss goal. Like your goal can't always be weight loss. Your goal really, really can't. Dieting means short term. And I think it's it's usually important for us to kind of say like what you do often is what's going to get you to where you mm. want to go. And I think a lot of people are too, like, we've both been guilty of it. We're always looking for shortcuts. But I think yep. too many people are, look, are looking to go on it alone and then they get frustrated. They kind of kid themselves saying, oh, I'm on this diet on a Monday to Wednesday and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it goes out the window and then they're like, oh, well, I'm, why am I not getting my results? So yeah. it'd be interesting to hear your take on dealing with impatience. I think a lot of it comes down to like instant gratification. Hugely. It's what we all want. And like we, we have a myriad of studies on it. Um, back in, what was it, 2002, 2004, one of the, one of the two, um, some of what's known as the marshmallow test. So giving kids the opportunity to have a marshmallow or they can have two and wait for it. Now, we see that when kids are below the age of four, the ability to process that information is a little bit harder. But it went on to show as the years went on, those who actually waited to get more marshmallows end up having a better life. They end up dealing with life's issues in a better situation because they could then take that understanding and kind of put it to life, which was some things are going to be easier, some things are going to be harder, and that not always going for the marshmallow when it's there is going to be a good thing in the long term. So that means I can get more from it. I can benefit more from it. They had a better outlook through life than those who just went, give me the marshmallow. So it's like trying to understand that a lot of what you're going to go through is trying to overcome that instant gratification that has been hardwired into us thanks to society these days. You make a post on Instagram, instantaneously likes, 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 likes. Now you start getting more of a kind of behavioral aspect from this. So if you look at from like a psychology point that if you post something and you get a ton of likes in a couple of seconds, right? You're going to get some point of dopamine hit, but you're going to start creating a behavior towards this. You're in sense creating this cycle that is going to take forever for you to get out of. So you end up making the issues more available to yourself by just by putting the environment to where it is. And I think that's the biggest thing with this whole impatience. It's trying to understand that instant gratification, it doesn't have to be there. The compounding effect of like putting a little bit in every single day is going to come out with something big in the end. It's just, we have to realize that and, and understand that the environment that we're currently in is setting us up for failure in some of these aspects. And once we recognize that, you can now do different things to combat it. You can go, right, maybe I'm going to go for an extra walk or maybe I'm not going to go eat some of these things on the weekend because if I stick to my diet, in six months' time, I will be a lower weight. Or if I stick to my investment in six months' time, I might be able to put a deposit on the house. I think what you spoke about there about instant gratification, like we live in a now, a click now, buy now. Like if you look at Amazon, you can look at your phone right now and buy a book or whatever. If you look at social media, the instant gratification of the likes, you can find your husband or wife by a swipe on an, on an app. 
And I think it's important to realize that also with the likes of, say, alcohol or drugs, that instant gratification, it's not necessarily the addiction to the actual substance itself. Mm-hmm. It's that chemical high that you get for the dopamine hit and you're, you, you get kind of get used to that. You're looking for that all the time. And then over a while, you need to increase that threshold as the threshold gets hit, you need to increase that, increase that, increase that. So you're looking for more all the time. Mm. And I think it's hugely important for people when they are saying, oh, I've only lost, say, four kilos in eight weeks. And I'm kind of like, yeah, but that's still incredible. That's still incredible in relation to what habits have you formed? Mm. What have you changed? Your sleep has improved. Your libido is up. You're feeling let you dropped the clothes size in your clothes you aren't going onto the scales really you're yeah. not going on every day every morning every evening two or three times a day you're having chocolate or ice cream every day you're having a family night every day so you've got to ask yourself do i want to include the stuff that i enjoy or do i want to starve myself for the sake of what a number on the scale says when ultimately that number on the scales is like rolling a dice in a casino you've no control over what that dice says like if I step on front of the scales now at quarter past one and step on the scales at say two o'clock, there'll be two different weights. Mm. And I don't think people realize the science, the logical side of why, why how a scales works. Get frustrated. Like if you are in a shit mood and you step on the scales, why are you going on a scales? Just like poking a bear. Why are you poking the bear? Like what advice would you give to your kids? Like common sense will prevail. Like if you're in a shit mood, you haven't slept. Why the fuck are you stepping on a piece of plastic to tell you how to feel? It's because I derive worth from it. That's the aspect. It's that piece that I step on. That little bit of glass means I am a better person. I am a better human. That makes me worth love from other people. That means other people can see me in a good position. That means I derive my confidence from that little square or circle. And that's the crazier part. But I think when I think also people are afraid to answer the questions regarding self-worth. Because I know when you talk to clients about it, in relation to asking the question, like, why are you why are you measuring your self-worth against this? Some can sidestep the question and go to the other questions that you've asked previously. And you're like, no, no, please please answer the question. You're avoiding this. What is the reason? I remember someone said to me, it was like, oh, I've been doing slimming close to 20 years. I'm like, yeah, but if everyone played in traffic, would you play in traffic? Just because everyone else does it doesn't mean you have to do it. That approach could work for Mary. That approach couldn't, may not work for Susan. Yeah. So you've got to ask yourself, right, what's more important to you right now? How you feel or what it says in the piece of plastic? You've got to weigh things up, the pros and cons. If the, if the scales impacts your mood, throw it out the fucking window. Drive it over with a car. Get, a, get your kids to get a baseball bat and smash it. You are worth more than what the scale says about you. You don't go in, when you are looking for clothes, what do you use? The, what's the metric for your clothes? One, how it feels. Two, a size. The size depends on what brand it is. Zara may be a little bit tighter. Pennies or whatever may be a little bit looser. But you don't go into the shop looking, can I have a size 70 kilos, please? Like if you did, you'd you'd get like just thrown out for being a mad person. But you don't, like the label doesn't say, it doesn't go by what your weight. You don't look at other people and say that person's, I don't look at Dallas and say that person's whatever weight. So why do you use the same metric for yourself and say, oh, I have to be this weight for me to be happy? Mm. The self-empathy, self-compassion, the way you've talked to yourself, like if you're in a shit state and you go onto a piece of plastic to tell you how to feel emotionally, you're going to drive yourself insane. There are other metrics, how you feel, your clothes. Have you got your cycle? Have you got your libido? Have you got more energy? Are you talking to yourself in a nicer way? Are you sleeping better? Is your strength going up? Are you getting PBs in your runs? But that stuff is the unsexy stuff. That's where the that's where the impatience comes in as well. Yep. People, that stuff doesn't sell. Like if I put up an ad right now and said, "Oh, I'm going to get you a five k. I'm going to get you a five k uh, PB," that like that's not going to sell. But if I said to you, right, "I'll guarantee you six kg weight loss in three days," 
that will sell, unfortunately. Yep. And that, please don't try that, by the way, because I have to say that because it just, please don't try it. <laughs> so I think you're better off saying to yourself, right, what can I do over time? What little triggers can I do over time? What little things can I do over time to help me get to where I want to go? It doesn't matter what it is. It's the same with money. It's the exact same thing. Bring it back to the money aspect because a lot of people, that's something that everyone has and kind of unfortunately needs to kind of get through life is kind of having some sort of money. Make it more relatable that way. But I think it's hugely important to say to yourself, right, control what you can. Look at the bigger picture. It's not easy when your headspace has been so blurred and so shit for so long. And I've been there. Like lads struggle with this shit too. We also struggle with the scales not going up when we're trying to put on muscle or weight. And I would be a harder gainer in that it would take me a little bit more food. And people are like, yeah, you're a bastard chain for saying that. (laughs) But uh, it it would take me quite a lot of food in order to get up to a certain weight. But I also don't feel comfortable at a certain when I don't feel comfortable in my clothes, but sometimes you have to get a little bit more comfortable for or uncomfortable for your goal as well. I think a lot of people don't realize that. And that doesn't mean that you have to starve yourself for a diet. That doesn't mean you have to get uh, very restrictive with your diet. Mm-hmm. It just means that uncomfortable to some people could be creating a morning routine, could be making more you time, could be journaling could be meditation that could be the uncomfortable side of things that's not meaning that your diet you don't have to be restrictive or uncomfortable with your diet yeah and i think like talking on that aspect as well it's the duration of uncomfortability is the biggest thing so when we're looking at in terms of forming up habits and the neuroplasticity of the brain right so how the brain ends up changing itself a lot of those aspects come down to frustration so we go through a lot of change in our adult life through um, frustration and having issues of trying to actually attend to what we're trying to do, right? When that starts occurring, this is when we start getting chemicals within the brain that start releasing to allow us to make that change when we go to sleep. So it's like some of these things are going to be uncomfortable. The more and more you repeat that uncomfortable aspect, the more you're going to start changing the brain to allow that habit or change to occur. But for most people, what they do is... There's a moment of uncomfortability and frustration and give up. Now what we're doing is we've just implemented the behavior that whenever we come to that frustrating part with that uncomfortable part, that we should not improve. We should not change our structure of the body, but kind of just let it be and run away from the task. You also have to get on, like if you're thinking about building muscle, you have to get uncomfortable. Like I don't think a lot of people in order to build muscle, you have to put a serious amount of stress and get a serious, like as people call it, a burn in the muscles in order for it to grow and develop. You need to stretch it out and it needs to repair. And I don't think a lot of people realize that when they're building muscle. It's like, oh, I've put on 2 kg of muscle. It's impacting on the scales. I've only been dieting for three weeks. I'm like, 1 kg of rocks and 1 kg of feathers is still equal 1 kg. It's the same with muscle and fat. Muscle and fat way the exact same they just have different compositions in the body yep. so go i think it's i think that's i think that's episode volume one i think when we talk about that if uh if you guys want to listen to that but i think one of the other things talking about that side of things is in relation to kind of building muscle and stuff one of the big things that i think a lot of people are struggling with right now is getting over missed workout guilt mm-hmm. in that if i've miss one day or I've missed going for a run or miss going out for a walk. I fucked the whole week up. And that leads back to what you've mentioned a moment ago of relying on willpower, relying on motivation. And then every time you give up, you're almost training your muscle in your brain to say, right, this is normal. This is what I should do every time. So I'm going to let you take over about how to get over missed workout guilt because I know you've got a good bit on this. <laughs> so when when we start talking, like I'll branch from the aspect we're talking about there with like training and willpower motivation. So like as we've spoken about on previous podcasts, like willpower is something that everybody has and everybody has a small amount. And it means that we can train it. So that means that we have to work on our willpower to get more willpower. Pretty simple, right? 
But the problem is we don't realize a lot of things in the day will tax the willpower. And it actually, it's not so simple to go, oh, I'm just going to work on it. Because like, think about it, a message in the email that is not something you want to deal with is going to require a bit of willpower. And if you think about it, all these things coming in that you need to say work and kind of stop the surrounding environment affecting your work is taxing willpower. Bam, 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 bam. So the time you really actually want to sit down and work on your willpower, you realize that you actually have pretty much nothing left. And so when you do try, you end up then creating the habit of not doing something. It's those changing the environment to kind of see the outcome you're looking for. And then when that comes into guilt, it's more of a, a how we say it's a sense. So like majority of time, guilt is a sense of right and wrong, which is a perception that people have, right? So it's like what is right and wrong to you is different to what it is for me. However, when a guilt occurs, we always try to rationalize everything. We try to go like, this is the reason why it occurred. That's why that happened. And we look at it as a form of like, I didn't get my workout, right? So oh, it was thanks to, you know, the bad weather, you know, I didn't get enough sleep. I didn't eat enough. I didn't have enough carbs. So we go through all these aspects to kind of go, right, this is why I didn't do it. I see you about to interject. Yeah. No, so like, it's funny because like that, that topic has come up a bit and I'm kind of like, well, I haven't trained. By the time I'm allowed to train, it could be four or five weeks. And I have to look at it from a bigger picture and saying, right, I'm not allowed. My balance has been off. Like I've only got my, my, my uh, gauze out of my ear in the last two days. Yeah. And to say when they took it out, I was kind of, I sat up and I may as well have just kind of fallen over straight away. My balance is your balance system is in your ear. So, I can't train. Like I, I've, I went out for a walk. Like I think yesterday was the proper Saturday was the first walk I did, and it was like half an hour, and I was wiped. I went out for a walk yesterday. I was wiped, but I know myself, and I probably old me would have beat myself up a lot. And I'm kind of like I've had to take a step back and say that this that would be too much too soon. Mm-hmm. I also have to look at in fact that I haven't really been eating. Mm-hmm. because i haven't been hungry and i've had because they they broke bones in my jaw in order for me to um for my ear to be repaired so i wasn't able to chew properly so how i could only have like um i couldn't have solids really so even my ice cream i had to get the ice cream and mash it into a bowl oh. so i got my ice cream in though <laughs> my non-negotiable um but i've had to listen to myself and say right I'm better off not training for five weeks and being able to train the sixth week rather mm. than trying to destroy myself now. Yeah. But I think a lot of people say to themselves, right, I have to be perfect. I have to be seen to be doing this because they're watching social media. They're watching people doing classes. They're watching hit sessions. When in reality, you have a, you have a job. How, some people have jobs. You've got kids. You're homeschooling. So rather, yeah, the stress, everything. You may not be sleeping. You may be on your cycle week. Yeah. So you're better off saying to yourself and saying reality and saying, right, rather than aiming for unrealistic expectations of six sessions a week and doing that for one week and then never again, yeah. why not say I'm going to do three sessions a week for, for a month over a consistent time? Yeah, it's like, well, if we bring it back to like in the beginning where we're talking about the compounding effect. Yeah. So if we bring it back and go, right, if you know that some weeks you can commit to four and some weeks you can commit to two, the better option is committing to two every week than committing to four, one week, two the next, maybe three, drop one. And you keep playing these numbers up and down because if you can consistently create the habit of um, of committing to two every single week for a year, you're infinitely in a better position than committing to four, then three, then none, then one. And because of that aspect, it now you will see that compounding effect. But it's also you need to then like understand that rationalizing their ability of why you didn't work out will temporarily take away the guilt. That is all it's doing. It is only momentarily stopping you from feeling guilt. You have to address the reason of what occurred for that guilt to stop occurring. 
So that means that if your week is set up that you actually cannot get enough workouts in, your stress is too high, family stuff is going too crazy, I want you need to understand that and then make sufficient change so that you can be consistent with what needs to occur. And then you will start to notice that the amount of guilt starts to dissipate very quickly because you've addressed the issue that's at hand, which is I don't have enough time. So it's where do I, where can I get this time? How can I make time? And how can I fit what I need to do within the week? And it's like everyone has that ability. It's just that when we rationalize, we kind of put it to the side and then wait for it to come back. And we notice the more times we rationalize, the more we start setting that behavior of not doing X, Y, Z. But then there's other ways of overcoming it. Talking to friends, having that conversation of why it occurred, it gives you that ability of introspection so you can kind of really look at what aspects occurred. Your friends or family or therapist or coach will end up going like, why, how come we didn't control for this? Or could we have control for that? And now that gets you thinking, going, oh, cool, addressing the scenario again, either owning up to it you know, being a bit more compassionate to yourself or changing behavior are going to be another aspect. And I think that like the change of behavior flows into the understanding of what's occurring within the week. Because a lot of us start the beginning of the weeks or start the year, say for January, New Year's resolutions with old behaviors. And by the time we get to March and April, they're gone because we haven't taken the time to change the behaviors and set them for what we are, instead of it's for what we want. And that's the issue. And also, if you think about it, like diet starts Monday, element comes into it as well. If I haven't trained or I miss my walk on a Monday, well, then the whole week's gone. And I'm kind of like, well, if you've taught yourself that over time, like we spoke about again with the, with the muscle memory and stuff, mm-hmm. that over time is going to become the new habit. That's going to be your habit. Like oh, if I miss something on a Monday, then the whole week's gone. There's six days left in the week. Yeah. So I know one of the big things that we kind of say, and I know you were working with this with your clients in relation to what two or three things are you looking forward to in the week and trying to set them up that way and saying, right, it doesn't have to be fitness related. It doesn't have to be nutrition related. It's like, oh, I've got like a date night or I've got, I'm bringing my kid to the playground or I'm ringing a friend or I'm doing a bit of journaling or I'm doing something, I'm reading a book, setting yourself a challenge. Like I know when I've seen a few people of like, oh, I'm going to read like 10 books a month for the whole of 2021. I'm like, how are you going to intake that information? Like you're not going to apply any of it one. So how is that going to work? You're better off saying to yourself, right, I'm better off enjoying the book. Like if you, if you read 10 pages a day, which is, I even started off with five pages a day or one page a day. And the amount of books that you would read in that amount of time, but it's not about the amount of books that you would read. It's the amount of intake, amount of stuff and information you take out of the book. Like if you read a book and take one piece of information out of it, well, then that's, that's worth its weight in gold. Like I've got books above my head. Some of them hit me at right times. Some of them hit me at wrong times. Mm. But there's something that I've learned from, like I'm not going to remember the whole book. And like if Dallas read the same book, he takes something else out of it. But it's setting yourself up this, oh, I must read like 52 books in a year, a book a week. That's an insane amount of information going in and not an awful lot of application. And that's the same with your whole information of, you're taking all this information from Instagram or social media of what people are doing but you're applying none of it to your life. We can, I can give out all the information, all the podcast information as much as people want, but if people aren't applying it, you're, you're, you're kind of like, well, something has to change there if you want to apply it. And there's no such thing as a perfect time to change. There are elements of when mental health and stuff comes into it, you have to be ready to go and talk to someone. That's different. But if it's waiting for a perfect time to do weight loss, it's like Dublin bus, you'll be waiting a while. Yeah, like like you, you you stand on a lot of there. Like, it's we set ourselves up for failure without learning from the failure. Yeah, and uh, it, it's a it's a big gripe I have with a lot of clients. And when they go through this thing, it's just like I love when clients set their goals, but I do not like when they're set goals that is not easily attained. It's because it was built on a whim. A wishful thinking that all things can align. It's like, I know why. Yeah, you need you need that internal drive to do the aspect you want to achieve. It, it, it's 
like trying to essentially stop something from occurring. Um, so like a natural disaster and you're one person, a tsunami going, yeah, if I stand at the beach and wave my arms, I'm going to stop a tsunami coming in. It's like, it's not going to happen in that type of essence. Like you need to have an understanding of why you do the very things you're going to do. You, you need to have a bit of purpose and drive for these things. But you've also got to understand that those goals need to be realistic and, and kind of suited to what's occurring at that time. And I went because a lot of us have outlandish goals, which is wonderful, but we then break them down to allow us to achieve things. And that's the biggest thing. We've got to set the goal for what's occurring at that time, not for a goal that is going to happen in future. So it's like when a lot of people, especially like for myself, obviously uh, we're studying at the moment, I have assignments, I have exams, I have all these other things with all the clients as well. And if I just go like, cool, I'll push it to the end and I'll do all my study, I'll do all my assignments in the last month of the year, I'm like, we're not going to get anywhere. You know, you need to understand that some weeks I'm going to be really, really productive. And during those productive weeks, you make all the plans you can and nail all the plans. There's going to be a change from week to week or day to day. And that plan can change and you need to know that. It's we end up setting a plan in motion and then we're going, crap, life intervenes. And now we do everything we can to keep to the plan. And then we start noticing guilt builds up. We start noticing that all these other things creep in and now we start having problems. Yeah, and I think I think what you've said there about like plans can't change. I was talking to one of the, the clients yesterday on our check-in and she's got into running during kind of lockdown and she was like, well, my schedule allows me to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, perfect. It doesn't have to be 50K a week or whatever it is. We're like, well, we'll, we'll aim for like three, four kg, or it's not kg, uh, kilometers, um, two or three times a week. Yeah. And we'll improve your times. So we know she's short on time. She can still get to her goal in that, right? She's got like, say 20, 20 minutes, 30 minutes for like her exercise Mm. and it allows her to get ready, do her online teaching or whatever it may be afterwards. So it doesn't have to be like a distance goal. It can also be an adjusted goal saying, right, I've got this a lot of time. How can I do what I want in that a lot of time and make it work for you? But we also had to look at it from a a previous perspective in that we tried it at the longer distances and it wasn't working and I was setting herself up. Mm -hmm. So we had to tweak that to make it more of a, let's improve your time. Let's get PBs and let's get improve your fitness and change it that way. And that's okay to change things. It doesn't always have to be one goal. It can change. Yeah. Like you, you st- you're kind of touching a lot on that aspect of like these things can change, but it's also people need to understand that no plan is going to be set in motion that is just set in stone, set in concrete, and that's how it has to stay. And it can change, but also having the understanding that be open to trying different things. And it's a whole aspect. It's like, for instance, I train twice a day in some cases, depending on when work is crazy. If work is crazy, I'm not going to get to train uh, twice a day, but I get once a day, right? But that means that I always used to train once. That That's how I did. I now train and do a weight session and do a cardio session if time permits. That was something that when I started out, it was like, I'm just doing this because like I had extra time. Let's give it a go. I need to improve my cardio. Hated it. Like I was just like, I know the health benefits of what I'm doing. I prefer not to drag out my week to train seven days a week. So I might as well just condense it into one day. And wait, as time goes on, you start noticing that like, oh, this is actually not bad. I kind of like this way of movement. But in the beginning, I had quite a bit of issues with doing it. It didn't feel right. I didn't like it. And it didn't make sense to fit into my life. But then as I started carrying on, so did the plan and how I see and how I envision what occurring changes. And that's the same thing with a lot of people in general. It's try different things and see how they go. You might learn more about yourself, more about what you're doing overall. And I think that's a big thing people need to realize. These plans need to change. You've mentioned there... There was there was three words you said there about fitting into your life or three fitting into life. And I think that comes into one of the big topics that has kind of come in is in relation to increasing calories 
and how to do it and including mindset shifts. And I think this is a huge element for a lot of people in that when they've realized they've got to a certain goal or they can't diet anymore, something needs to change, it's been too restrictive and they're afraid to increase calories because of what the piece of plastic is going to say about it. Mm. How do you work with that on clients and what what are the kind of like the additional factors, the additional benefits, I kind of like the kind of perceived kind of maybe pushback that you've kind of got as a coach from working with people in that aspect? So the easiest one, pushback, I'm getting fat, I hate the way I look, my clothes don't feel great, uh, don't feel as confident. Usually around those four to five things are going to always be the pushback in that because for people derive confidence from being lean, people derive confidence from being lower on the scales. So usually when that occurs and clients are pushing for, say, muscle gain, we need to look at why are we doing it? So what are the benefits from doing it? We have less diseases associated with um, being stronger and a little bit more muscle mass. Cool. That's good things. We can also see that eating more food can bring back a lot of internal hormone systems. So actually regulating the hormone systems from after dieting for such a long period of time. I know in women, I know you'll probably touch on um, on the cycle aspect, but also it's like trying to change those mindsets and going, why are we doing the very thing that we're doing? So what are we looking to achieve from this? When it comes to women, it's trying to ensure that they get the shape they want. So they're like, I want a bigger glutes, I want bigger quads, I want bigger hamstrings, whatever it may be, it's going that we need to put yourself in a position to grow. And it's just like, and that means we need to be a bit uncomfortable for anything. It's like frustration and friction equals growth all the time. And what ends up occurring from that part is what you're trying to help them see is that, right, you need to step away from certain aspects that have built along the way. So that means that the scales will not be your way of looking at the world. You're looking at in terms of other things, like what are your PBs? How are you feeling? What do you wake up in the morning and go, do I feel strong? Am I getting better sleep? So you start looking at all these other aspects that are related to increase of calories, which gets them there. The difference in trying to do it in nutritional strategies, one that I thoroughly um, employ with a lot of clients is take the very aspect of how you diet and add something to it. So that means that if you're eating, say, your yogurt, for like myself, yogurt, oats, and fruit in the morning, right? That's my breakfast on a diet, and that's my breakfast on um, a massing phase, right? All I need to do is throughout the day go, right, one snack, I'm going to have a little bit more calories. So if I want a little bit of a chocolate, I'll have a bit of chocolate there. That's one square of chocolate today. That's one square of chocolate tomorrow. I've kept everything the same. I still have a sense of comfortability. Since I'm still used to a certain routine, I'm just adding or just say sprinkling a little bit of in here and there. And as time goes on, you start noticing that you're keeping the same things that you still get that same comfortable feeling as you were in a diet. But now you start seeing that you're actually adding calories over a period of time. Works wonders. And there's so many, like there's so many massive benefits of increasing the calories. And I think what a lot of people are kind of forget about is kind of the added benefit of performance added benefit of cycle regularity. So if you've been having issues with your cycle and you have to monitor your stress and you've kind of got irregular cycles, the increased fuel, the increased food, well, hopefully uh, with a few other factors can, can kind of help to regulate that. And I think one of the most important things for a girl is to have a very regular, regular cycle. It's one of the most important things. It's one of the most important things that I try to work on with clients. And it's most probably the most rewarding thing I get from clients is that element of having nothing to come on back with something that will hopefully benefit them down the line. Mm. And one of the other things that a lot of people don't really kind of take into effect is the kind of the adherence aspect of when they are on their diet in the first place. So they think they've been on 1,200 calories. They think they've been on 1,300 calories. So if I was to look at, say, 1,200 calories and multiply it by seven days, it will work out at about 8,400 calories for the week. So you've got 8,400 calories a week to get to your goal or to get to your allowance or whatever it may be. But what happens to a lot of people is they have 1,200 calories Monday and Tuesday, then 2,500 calories 
every other day for the rest of the week. And that equates to 14,900 calories. So you're coming up at about six and a half thousand extra calories already. So you're not really at 1200 calories. You're already at kind of like a maintenance, if not a, a probably a calorie surplus by having the 14,900 calories. So you're kind of setting yourself up for a full thinking that you're on 1200 calories, but you're only realistically on it for two or three days. When ultimately, if you averaged out 17, 18, 1600, 1900, whatever it may be, mm. and found that sweet range, you wouldn't be kidding yourself anymore. Yeah. I think a lot of people I do kind of kid themselves and then they kind of give out, they get frustrated when they've been, oh, I've been on 1200 calories for six weeks and playing. Like, okay, send, can you, like, on the questionnaire and stuff, they may put it on the questionnaire. And I'm kind of like, well, the, the, the weekends, part of your kind of questionnaire element is you had a Domino's, you had a takeaway and there's nothing wrong with those foods, but I, a medium Domino's two and a half thousand calories. Don't forget the garlic dip, which is coming in at like eight, 900 calories. Yeah, ex- exactly. But plus you haven't included your breakfast or your dinner or your lunch in there. Oh, they don't exist when you have your Domino's. <laughs> um, but I think a lot of people just kind of like, they kid themselves that they're on the 1200 calories. Oh, yeah. And give out about it. And then when they're realistically probably on an average of like something quite larger and it's nothing wrong. And it's not, this isn't a dig at anyone. It's a problem with the education system. Because mm. what a lot of people do when they're trying to lose weight is they go onto my fitness pal. What's well, the quickest rate of weight loss? And I'll go two, two pounds. And then you kind of, it'll automatically probably default probably to around 1200 to 1300 calories. And then if you got your Garmin or your Fitbit linked to it as well, it takes back your energy output. And then you have to eat a little bit more on top of that. Mm. Whatever you do, take off your Garmin, take off your Fitbit. Do you, don't have it attached to your my fitness pal. It's adding back the calories you're eating. And that's, I've no problem with people if they're on 12 calories and they have to add about it, but more calories because they get more fuel in that they actually probably need anyway. But then stepping on that same thing, it's inaccurate anyway. So it's saying you burn 400 calories. So then you're technically, if you think about it, if you're eating 1,200 calories and you supposedly burned your 400 calories from your exercise and then say you burned 200 calories then from your walking. So that's 600 calories in total. That's 600 calories you're going to eat now. So if you were eating, you're eating 1,800 because your exercise was not 600 in total. So it's like effectively you've now just pushed yourself either to maintenance. Yeah, and I think sometimes, I think well, we've spoken about this a good bit, like on an off-air, kind of just having a chat, is that most people probably need to go on maintenance anyway. Most people are in a surplus anyway without realizing it. Yeah. So like if you've been consistently eating, say, 23, 2400 calories a day, maybe your maintenance could be at say 1700 to 2000 calories. That's not that their numbers out of my head. That's not tailored to anyone. So please don't use that as gospel, but that could be what it could be. And that could be where you, that could be the difference between you getting the result you want. And that could be the difference between you being able to adhere to it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people forget that word adherence. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the long-term picture where the patience kind of comes in. It's like, Oh, I must drop this now. Like, yeah, but you've been there before and, and you weren't able to manage it. Oh, I've been nine stone four uh, before and then I was able to stay there for like a week mm. and I came back up to 12 stone really quickly. That's because the pillars, the foundations of habits, behaviors, all that side of stuff weren't taken into account. Mm. You went for the quick fix. You went for the cookie cutter. You went for the meal plans rather than looking at the holistic picture. And looking at yourself, right, I'm giving myself a little bit more calories, giving me a little bit more leeway so I can have chocolate every day, so I can have a date night, so I can have a cake on my uh, my kid's birthday, so I can have a glass of wine or a couple of glasses of wine on the weekend with my partner. Mm. You have to ask yourself, like, I don't get me wrong, if someone's got a, a shoot or someone's got like a holiday or anything like that booked when we can go and you need to kind of like do a little bit of a cut for four or six weeks, that's when you can potentially do it. But you know, back in the back of your head, after those four to six weeks, you're going to put the weight back on the holiday anyway. Yeah. So you've got to ask yourself, adherence, are you lying to yourself going into it anyway? And ask yourself, why Why do you let, when it comes back to the self, self-compassion and the empathy side of things towards yourself in relation to going back to the scales? Because 
we can't control that. But what we can't control is being sent to ourselves in regards to the food that we and the training that we do on a daily basis. Yeah. I think also like coming to the point that like make maintenance a little bit more sexy for people. Like we need to see it as a sexy place to be because a lot of are easy. Yeah. Like it, it, it's trying to bring that aspect that like maintaining your body weight or coming to a point where maintenance calories are, I went, everyone's like, yeah, but like, I'm going to stay the same. And I went, I, I don't think you realize how much influence or what your body can do staying at maintenance calories. It's a phenomenal aspect, and I'm like you and I have both seen it when we keep some of um, our ladies at that, and the whole body starts to change. I'm like the training is coming on point; they've got more fuel for their exercise, and you just start naturally seeing body tightening up. And it's like, yeah, but like I'm not losing weight, and you're like, yes, but you're using that fat stores; they they are disappearing. You're gaining muscle in that phase. Your whole body is changing, but you're also in a position to enjoy life at that stage, and like life becomes a little bit better and you can enjoy the very delicious cheesecake you've been waiting for. Cause like, I love cheesecake. <laughs> I like ice cream. Um, I think that's, that kind of brings in the next element of it with kind of like kind of rates of weight loss, because that comes back to the patience thing, impatience thing as well. Like that a lot of people when they go on a weight loss journey is like, Oh, am I losing enough? Mm. Am I, uh, should I, are they comparing their journey to other people? They're looking at, I know sometimes I put on like non-scale victories up in my stories or I put, I share a transformation. They're like, Oh, why were they able to do that? Not me. You don't know what other people are doing. One, you don't know what background or, or starting point they had. You don't know what their behaviors were. They don't know what their, their headspace was either. Or huh? their genetics, which people don't realize. No. And I think there is no kind of perfect rate of weight loss it's what you can manage like it depends so i know a few of the clients were joking that they could make a drinking game every time we say it depends so we may we make we may create that uh for patty's day or something but i think most people base weight loss off what the scale's dropping but not all weight loss is fat loss yeah i think a lot of people also forget that a huge element of it is kind of maintaining muscle mass and I had this recently with my old man. My old man's been on a diet and I'm definitely not going to my old man. I value my life way too much. Uh, he's been asking for advice. But he was kind of like, well, I've been at this weight before and it was quite lower to where he was. And he's probably down about two and a half stone. And he's at the point now where he's having his, his kind of like his ice cream. He's having his, the food he enjoys on a daily basis. And I was kind of like, well, if we lose any more, you go quite gaunt quite quickly. Um, you're fitting into your clothes. You've gone down two or three notches on your belt. Your shirt's fitting a lot better. You have more energy. Your knee isn't sore. Your back isn't sore. Your swing for your golf is a lot better. And that was the big thing. That was the non-scale victory there. Um, but especially with girls, like if you lose too much muscle mass, it can cause impact on elements of kind of like brittle bone syndrome when you get older. And that's not fun. And we had, I had Natalie Lennon on. And she was talking about it, of that it's not fun when you're at that stage where you have little or no muscle and you're frail, you're old, you're kind of hovered over. Yeah. And I think we need to look at it from a dieting is about consistency, not intensity of the diet. I'd rather someone lose, I'm not going to pick a number out of my head, 2kg, feel more sexy, feel more comfortable, able to have fun, able to have whatever they want every day rather than them losing 20 kg and feeling miserable welcome to a mindset change exactly and i think probably and this isn't this isn't gospel but what a, a kind of a slower rate of weight loss that probably people won't like me saying this is 0.5 to 1 percent of body weight per week yep. but that depends and also you're not going to go down the scales every week especially for a girl, if you've got your regular cycle, you're better off comparing your like weeks with your like weeks. So girls, if you're listening to this, get a pen and paper out. Compare your week one of your cycle. Dallas is taking notes. <laughs> Compare your week one of your cycle in, say, February to week one of your cycle in March. Week two, week two, week three, week three, week four, week four. There's too many variables happening week to week. There's too many hormones at play. There's too much water weight. There's bloating which will come up to in a sec. 
there's too many variables they have to week for the scales not to go down every single week. You're better off saying, right, let me compare week one in February to week one in March. Oh, I can see like 2kg debt is down. But then scales went up the next week. But yes, but you can see there's a difference each week. As it, it's, definitely, it's definitely working. You're feeling more confident. We know when to not step on the scales also. That'll give us the feedback of, right, if this is going to trigger me and it's gone up, I've, I've had clients before 13 pounds of weight gain in on cycle week and it was water weight. But it was to, to explain that to someone about that it's water weight, it's not fat gain. You, it takes a hell of a lot of effort to a lot of effort to eat that amount of food in order to put on that amount of weight in a very short space of time, like stupid amount of food. Yeah. But like, I've got a couple of examples here and like what like 0.5% to 1% of body weight could look like. But these aren't set in, these aren't set in stone. They're kind of like, if you're 140 kg and at 0.5% of weight loss could be 0.7 kg, 0.7 kg of weight loss a week. And that could be on average. That could be, a, that could be a slower rate, but you could be also, that could be the difference of you. Like if you lost 0.7 kg, every week for a year you would be in a pretty decent spot yep one percent is 1.4 kg 120 kg 0.6 kg and 1.2 and then it goes down to 80 kg is 0.4 kg what's a pound roughly around a pound Mm. Uh, and then one percent is 0.8 kg but i don't want people to latch on to those numbers it's just kind of giving that if you're on average going down those numbers on a continuous basis and on, I say, if you're on, a, say, if you're working with someone for quite a while, and you're coming in within those numbers, and you're able to adhere to it, is that not more beneficial for your psyche? It's more flexible. It's better adherence. You're more consistent. It's not intense. It's mm. not crash dieting. You're not fucking yourself up with your cycle. You're understanding your physiology. You're understanding your anatomy. You're understanding your cycle when to push, and you're understanding when not to poke the bear and when to not step on the scales if it impacts your mood. But it's important just to say that like those those figures are like rough figures, but aim for what you do on average, not for quick fixes. Yeah. And then like coming back to that point of 13 pound increase in calorie wise, because I just had to do the calculation there. It's 46,000 plus calories you would need to eat in one sitting. Challenge accepted. Like, and then you would, oh, yeah, no, like, holy Moses, think about actually having to have that challenge where most challenges are, what, 10,000 calories? Oh, that, and that, I, I, I've seen people do that, and I've seen people um, do it, and, like, they're, like, they've been bodybuilders, and they would have a fair amount of food on them anyway. And it could be the difference of, like, say, a 3,500 to a 10,000-calorie jump. And you have to eat quite greasy kind of the less nutritious side of food in order to get your 10,000 because otherwise you're just going to put a lot of volume into your stomach oh it's going to be horrible and they expand you into your stomach and then the and they get the sweats they get they get uncomfortable they get everything and it's i don't think people realize like it does take time on either end to put the weight on to take time to put take the weight off and i think if you can be flexible whatever flexibility looks like to you it's it will be it will change change your headspace. I think one of the big things about flexibility comes into can you drink and lose weight because we've got Paddy's Day coming up in six days when this episode is going to be eight. And I know we were talking about this yesterday with how to work with the clients on this because uh, yeah. we've got Easter kind of a couple of weeks afterwards um, to kind of work with clients on it. So I'm going to let you kind of take this over because I think there's a bit of stigma around drinking. Um, I think this year Paddy Day is going to be a lot different. Oh. Um, but I think, and also I think a lot. Some people are are, are drinking uh, a good bit at the minute. Some people aren't. It depends on the. On the there's no judgment on either party. But I think it's important to answer the question: Can you drink and lose weight? Yes, 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 you can. But it really does come down to how you manage your drink. Um, I think it's going to be the biggest aspect of a lot of people. It's going, are you a person that can have one or two drinks and leave it be? Or are you a person that needs to take a whole bottle of wine, slam it, and then go, right, where's the next bottle? 
And this is what, how it really comes down to, because you can fit in your drinks across the week. No problem. Like if you have one to two glasses um, of wine across the week, no problem. You can actually fit it in. It won't um, hinder your weight loss goals. It won't create too many issues either. However, there are some caveats to it. If you are a person who drinks alcohol and you have a sudden hampering for takeaway or your inhibition goes down and you start calling up your favorite friend around the corner going, hey, <laughs> drop me some beautiful food, this is where the issue arises. And that's where alcohol now becomes a problem for a diet. Because it means that usually if your inhibition goes down, you're going to be have no issues with going, oh, I'm going to take that takeaway. I'm going to have more chocolate because their willpower is out of the equation. Your frontal uh, lobe kind of gets messed up in a sense. And what I mean by messed up is that you can't start future planning. So you can't think ahead going, if I have this chocolate now and I eat the rest of the food in the fridge, is this a bad thing? All you're thinking about is satisfying a craving at that point in time, and that is all you look at. So when it comes to that, if you are a person who is that, probably to limit as much of your alcohol consumption as you can. Because in, inevitably, you are going to be creating a cycle where you're going to be doing great from Monday to Friday. You're going to get a bottle of wine and you have a whole bunch of whiskey or whatever you prefer on the Saturday night. And then come Saturday night, you're going to binge on all the food around you. And then you're going to feel bad the next morning. And because you feel bad and want to get past the headache, you're going to eat more food to overcome that feeling. So in two days, you've just taken everything you've done from Monday to Friday and wiped it out in a calorie deficit, turned it into a surplus. So if you are that person who goes through that, it's more of a moderation of alcohol use that needs to come into play. I think one element of that, the caveat is out there because I know some of the clients, like I don't drink. So I have drank, but I don't drink. And I know this kind of gets thrown back at me sometimes from people and they like, oh, you wouldn't understand. I'm like, I used to drink. I used to be the person, like, I'd go out for one pint and come home, go out for one pint on a Saturday, come home on a Thursday with a cat. Like, it was just one of those things. Like, Irish people are so renowned for it. I'm like, I'm going out, I'm going out for one pint with the lads. I'll be back in half an hour. You come out, you end up in coppers with your T-shirt over your head. Like, it's, yeah. Imagine those times. Those times were great. Um, <laughs> simple times. But I think it's kind of like saying to yourself, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give myself permission to have the bottle of wine. It's that permission thing that comes back into it. It's like, right, I'm having my bottle of wine. I'm having my takeaway. And I was talking to one of the girls last night who, who kind of signed up. And I was like, well, the most important thing for us, like her husband had said to her, like, can we have a date night if you're going on this buzz? And I was like, I, I actually encourage it in that, right, we're not counting calories on the Saturday. Yeah. But we're slightly reducing your calories on the Sunday and the Monday yeah. by like, say, one to 200 calories. Just pressing reset, winning your breakfast on the Sunday. So what can happen a lot of people when they drink, they get a bit hungover, they feel a bit more dehydrated, they crave more sugary, salty foods. That's literally you're tired. So when we sleep, when we drink, we don't really sleep. When we drink, where our brain is looking for an instant hit of energy. So we go for carbohydrates, sugary foods. There's nothing wrong with them, but that's what our brain looks for. And they're like, oh, how can I get this hit in properly? But why not try to have some sort of half decent breakfast? Mm. Like you can have a fry up if you want, yeah. but just being mindful of your portion of your fry up. Oh, yeah. Aim for whole grain bread rather than the white bread. White bread will spike it or sugar levels and crash it back down really quickly. Aim for whole grain, which will be a little bit more steady. I think you can also kind of bring into that aspect of like we've been talking a lot about the environment that you're in. Yeah. If, if you're putting yourself in an environment where you know that if you start drinking, you're automatically going to go off the um, jump off the end, really. Is that really good for you in the long run? Is that good for you physically, but also both mentally? And like, I love asking these questions to the client. And I'm like, oh, I just need a, a bottle of wine at the end of the week. And you're like, why? Why do you need this? It's, are you creating associations? Is this becoming a form of addiction? Is it, and I'm not addiction to the alcohol. Is it addiction from, I die on it? Or as you say, it's, it's a high. It, it, there's two causes to that form of addiction, which is that high takes me away from how I feel and those internal thoughts. And because of that, I can be more pro-social. I don't have to think of things and I can think of things that I enjoy. And it's like by using, say, alcohol 
or any substance as a point in that case for I've had a tough week, I've had highs and lows and anything along that line, you end up creating this point that becomes a crux. And that's something you don't want to go down. So a lot of people use it to get out of their heads and it's just like, well, how about let's change the environment so that position doesn't occur. So instead of having, I'm gonna have a whole bottle, let's put us in a position where a glass of whiskey gets us that same high feeling but it doesn't make us crave things. It doesn't push us over because we know we're not going to overdrink on whiskey. It's like you're now just changing your behavior and still somewhat getting what you want. I think one other element of it is where you've literally hit the nail on the head there is like, oh, I need to have this bottle of wine. I need to have these beers or whatever. It's like, no, no, you, you need to kind of take a step back and say, right, what are you trying to escape? You've had a shit week. You've had a stressful week. Is the bottle of wine going to, is, is it sort of some sort of therapy? Or is it a crutch or is it that you just want to have it? If you're using it as some sort of crutch or as an escapism point of view, you've got to ask yourself, right, is that going to be beneficial for you long-term? Are you kind of creating that reward center for yourself long-term that over time could derail whatever goal you may have? Like if you're going three weeks, so like perfect example would be dry January or people are doing like dry or giving up drink for Lent. Once that Lent is over, people are going to press the fucker button. Yeah. Just, I'm like, we have nowhere to go to at the minute, but we still will be kind of like, right, I'm going to have it all now because I have to make up for the 40 days that I haven't had it. Yeah. And then you're going to be like, all right, I feel like shit. And then that's where the, the derailment, that's where the compassion, the empathy kind of goes right the window because you're tired, you're hungover. Oh, I've missed a walk. Diet starts Monday. So there's a, a huge amount of factors. And this isn't an episode for us to kind of say you can't drink and don't drink. This is an episode just being mindful. Yeah. And we're not being, I don't want to be a banter sponge. I don't want to soak up all the fun. And that's not what, our, what we're trying to do. It's trying to say to yourself, right, it's kind of recognizing the cues that you're using. Mm. And I know everyone is struggling right now mentally. There's different weeks um like january i was met up with one of my lads last night and he was kind of saying like the days from like the 28th of december to maybe the 5th or 6th of january were probably the work, worst time because there was christmas was over and it's kind of like nothing really to look forward to but for me it was kind of like probably third and fourth week of january were kind of the worst weeks mm. so it will come in drives, but you've got to ask yourself right if i want to have a drink Grant, have a drink. Make it a social occasion. Make it an event for yourself and your family or whatever it may be. But you got to ask yourself, do, are, you, are you using it as a, an escape to what's going on? And this, I just don't want it to come across as a judgment thing because a lot of people will get kind of like, I guarantee, because I know um, Joe O'Brien head first put something up as in regards relationships. It's like, do you need to have a drink with your partner in order to be in that relationship? And I, I, I messaged him after. I was like, I'm really keen to see the, the response. This. He said he got so many hate, so much hate. Oh, but like, but, off, like, but when we're before the podcast and we're talking about relationships in general, and I think this is one aspect people don't realize about things. It's like for to be in a relationship, we don't have to actually partake in certain things that our, our partners do. We, we really don't. It doesn't mean you don't love them. I'm like, I love watching action films or people where you get like slaughtered in the films. That is what I enjoy. I went, that is not what my partner enjoys watching. But I went, sometimes she will sit there and watch with me. And sometimes she will rather just sit on the phone and do other things. I went, that is up to her to do what she wants. I'm like, it's trying to understand that relationships encompass so much. And some of the ideas that we come into a relationship with are formed when we were two, three, four, five years old. They're formed from past experiences that we have yet to actually sit down and understand and truly ruminate on some of those aspects. And this is an issue where it kind of brings into the alcohol aspect that a lot of the ideas we have around alcohol are usually coming from an aspects of previous experiments or experiments, experiences from family. Your parents drank probably. You had a whole bunch of uncle who drank. Your aunt drank a lot. And those are what you used to inform yourself in later times. So it's like a lot of this is just trying to understand that you don't have to do it. You know, have a bit of mindfulness to it. Understand why these things are occurring. Ask yourself. It's it's a simple question that leads to many, many roots. Just don't like... 
like the lines are so blurred at the minute like i know if you're homeschooling and stuff and it could be a de-stress here but why not try to bring it to an angle of right let's have a family night and have a couple of drinks that way but just don't say to yourself right i'm having this because it's been a shit week because ultimately that's not gonna if you create that habit or it is the habit at the minute for your own headspace you're associating the reward system and over time you're gonna have to increase the reward system because it just happens over time it's like a muscle it has to be put stressed on it has to increase threshold and over time that one bottle can easily turn into more and i, and I just don't want this to be perceived as a negative and a dig at people who are drinking so don't dm us about the hate on the drink side of things i just i just i i just i'll just mute you I just, i'm just not arsed um but i think like the episode today has been really in, i hope it's been insightful for a lot of people like dealing with impatience is a huge element of it uh increasing calories around maintenance getting over missed workout guilt can you drink and lose weight kind of what rate of weight loss should we aim for there's so much there and there's so much mindset stuff there that i think hopefully a lot of people find insightful we have other episodes i've already given dallas kind of topics and stuff that we're going to talk about so if you guys have any more topics that you want to talk about or any of what topics you want us to discuss uh, please do send it in to DM to either of us and we'll, 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 we'll continue to do it because the, the Q&As that I'm doing at the minute and Dallas are doing, that's where we get the content. That's where we get the ideas for this. And if there's something that's bugging you and we can't answer it fully on a DM because it's, there's only so much context you can give, it's so much easier for the the podcast to be the the, the, the focal point for it because we can get two sides of it and could be you can play devil's advocate advocate with it as well. Um so guys, thank you so much for listening to the episode. If you guys have enjoyed it at all, please do tag myself and Dallas uh up on your story. I'm gonna hunt you down for reviews on iTunes. I know I, I just want you to kind of keep leaving the reviews up on iTunes to keep us at number one. More guests, more guests, more guests. That's all I'm saying. Like as soon as you, the more ratings, the more the the, the amazing guests I can continue to get on. The more podcasts I'll continue to put out. But Dallas, thank you so much for uh, having the chat again. Ah, you're more than welcome. And hopefully next time we'll have uh, some crazy discussions. Hopefully we'll have some some crazy discussions. Hopefully we'll have uh, something exciting coming up in the background as well. I'm looking forward to it. All right.